guys, thanks for being here today to listen to my very first equine guest. We're so excited to have the opportunity to branch out from our usual canine and feline topics and so lucky to have Dr. Copper join us to discuss equine fluid therapy. In particular, fluid therapy in the field where IV fluids might prove cumbersome or impractical or just in general might not be an option. We cover IV fluid therapy, but also discuss enteral fluid therapy and even rectal fluid therapy. We talk about the indications for each, how to apply them, and the pros and cons to each approach. Dr. Copper was so much fun to talk to. I really hope that we can have her back again to cover some more equine topics in the future. Dr. Jamie Copper is an assistant professor at Iowa State University. She earned her DVM from Michigan State University in 2013, followed by a rotating large animal internship at the University of Pennsylvania's New Bolton Center, and both a residency in large animal internal medicine and emergency critical care at Michigan State University. Her clinical research interests include improving survival in horses with gastrointestinal disease and emergency and critical care of large animal species. Let's go ahead and get into it. All right, I am joined today by Dr. Copper, and I'm excited because we're going to talk about horses. We're going to talk about equine medicine, something we don't often cover on the podcast. So Dr. Copper, thank you for being one of my first equine guests. Oh, thank you so much for having me here today. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you guys. We are so excited to have you. And today we're talking about equine fluid therapy. So can you kind of just start us off with some basics of equine fluid therapy and why sometimes that it can be a challenge? Yeah, great question. So I think, you know, there's multiple ways that we can go about giving fluids to horses. And sometimes that's the the part that's hard. You're out in the field and we always think about IV fluids as being in our minds, the way to go. Um, and, and there are some instances where it really is, but that's not always feasible when it's minus five degrees in a barn um, oh and you don't have somebody to monitor that horse on fluids and things like that. And so that can create a real challenge for a lot of practitioners and then cost comes into play too. So um, sometimes we, even though we want to use IV fluids, we can't um, just based on our client's budget. And so then we're looking at other things like enteral fluids via nasogastric tube and even rectal fluids are becoming popular in equine medicine as well these days. You're talking about this minus five degrees out in a barn and I'm here in this huge sweater because it was 50 degrees this morning. And I was like, oh, this is too cold. That's too close to having a four in the, in the beginning of that temperature. I can't handle it. <laughs> so true. So true. I feel spoiled getting to work in a hospital most of the time as well. While my colleagues are dealing with truly frigid temperatures out there in, in the real world. Absolutely. Absolutely. So can you talk to us a little bit more about enteral fluid therapy and what situations enteral fluid therapy would be appropriate? Yeah, great question. Um, enteral fluid therapy is actually my favorite way to go, to be honest. So one of my mentors used to say, and it's really stuck with me through the years that if the GI tract works, you should use it. Um, I love and that. so anytime the GI tract is at all functional, I'm going to be really quick to go that route with it. So it is as simple as passing a nasogastric tube, which equine veterinarians are great at because it's such a huge part of what we do with colic workups and whatnot. 
And then either giving fluids at that given time and then removing the nasogastric tube, or we can even tie them and leave them in place and use it intermittently from there on out without having to pass it each and every time. Some of the great benefits, I think, of enteral fluids Um, Not only can you provide hydration to the horse, but you can also increase gastrointestinal motility. So we have what's called the gastrocolic reflex. So you fill the stomach up and it makes your colon contract. It's just like in the morning when your dog goes and eats and then it has to go outside to go to the bathroom, same concept. And so that's really nice for horses that are having various types of colic as well, because we can get their GI tracts moving and stimulate that at the same time as hydrating contents within the GI tract, as well as providing them with fluids. It's also a route by which that we can give them electrolytes and and help manage problems like that. Um, And then we can even give them nutrition that way as well. So there's a number of different powdered caloric supplements that can be used for horses that are nice and friendly and can get mixed into your fluids and go down the tube or alternatively you can soak some senior feed and kind of turn it into a thin gruel to go down the nasogastric tube as well. So those are some instances that I think it's it's really helpful with. There was a study that showed when you're, particularly if you're trying to hydrate contents of the GI tract, which I think colic is such a big part of what we do. And oftentimes why we're wanting to put horses on fluids that you can do a much better job hydrating the contents within the horse's colon using enteral fluids as opposed to IV fluids, even five times the normal rate. So there's a lot of instances and in when I think it's really helpful. And, and of course, sometimes when we can't use them for various reasons as well. And I'm kind of thinking about the parallels with small animal medicine. You know, we talk about early enteral nutrition in like parvo puppies, the quicker you can get that GI tract moving, the better you're going to be or hydration, hydration, hydration for maybe a constipated cat, or even I even had like a 70 pound dog who had a colonic obstruction and he lived, he did great, but it's hydration. And that you know, we're using a lot smaller volumes in small animal patients. So IV sub Q, things like that might be more practical, but having that option to do enteral fluids and do so much volume at a time, sounds like a huge advantage in horses where, like you said, IV is not always practical. Absolutely. And I think we, as you mentioned, you know, parvo puppies and early nutrition and things like that, that's something that's been somewhat overlooked, I think on the horse side of things, um, to a lot of degrees and, what we recognize now is that the enterocytes are that are lining the GI tract, they need, they need nutrition too. And they would much rather get their nutrition by absorbing it from the inside of the GI tract versus anything we can give them IV. And those enterocytes are so important for barrier function and keeping all of the nasty bacteria and toxins inside the GI tract instead of leaking across for whatever reason, horses being the beasts that they are, they are one of the most exquisitely sensitive species to LPS. And yet they have, they house at any one time, tons and tons within their colon and enough to kill them in an instant. So (laughs) we, um, we really rely on that barrier function. And it's why we talk about endotoxemia being such a problem in horses. So anything we can do to keep the GI tract happy, that's for sure. Oh, horses. (laughs) housing there, all these things in their GI tract. You mentioned there were some situations where we would not want to use enteral fluids. Can you talk a little bit about those? Yeah, absolutely. So 
One, of course, is always safety. If you can't safely pass a tube on a horse and we don't want anybody putting themselves in danger every now and then we'll get a horse, even with sedation and um, restraint techniques, we can't get it done on. The second and most common reason that I am not able to use enteral fluids in a horse is for horses that have some sort of proximal gastrointestinal obstruction. So either a strangulating lesion of the small intestine or just a mechanical disruptions, something like anterior enteritis. So every time we pass a nasogastric tube, we're always checking for net reflex since Fortunately or unfortunately, horses can't vomit. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. If we have extra fluid that's accumulated, we typically say more than two liters in their stomach, then that would be a horse that I wouldn't use enteral fluids with because it's not going to go anywhere because all that fluid is just backing up. Similar to you and me, we'd be vomiting if that was the case, but we don't want to add more if they're not able to move it downhill. And then occasionally we'll get horses with large colon impactions that even though we want to get the GI motility moving and we want to get all of the material within the large colon softened up by stimulating it to move, they get really crampy and colicky. And if we can't keep them comfortable, then that's going to be counterproductive. And so those are also sometimes horses that we're needing to go back and use IV fluids with, even though in a perfect world, we'd be hydrating the contents of their GI tract and keeping them hydrated with enteral fluids as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. I would not have thought of a colonic obstruction. I would say they're rare. The majority of them we can treat generally, but every now and then you'll get one that just gets too crampy. Oh, poor thing. That sounds, that sounds awful. Like we're talking about having fluid in your stomach and it's not going anywhere and you can't vomit it up or like getting really crampy and all this. It sounds miserable. <laughs> oh, horses made by uh, a committee. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So you also talked about rectal fluids and using rectal fluids to hydrate them. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, this is super cool. So there was recently a paper by Khan and colleagues in the Equine Veterinary Journal um, that reported on using rectal fluids, which I feel like has made it much more accessible and something that now people feel a lot more comfortable doing. So it sounds a little weird at first, right? Rectal fluids, but interestingly, they use them in people too. So in palliative care instances, it's actually sometimes a preferred mechanism because people would prefer it as opposed to getting poked. I'll leave that to those individuals and, and the medical community, but it is interesting and it's used in humans as well. So the nice things about it, it um, we don't have to use sterile fluids similar to enteral fluid therapy. So from a cost standpoint, we can keep costs down that way. I usually will do it. Either you could save your IV fluid bags after you've used them and then just cut a hole at the top of them and put tap water straight into them. Save one of your old stat IV sets because they don't need to be sterile, right? It's going up the bum. And then we attach like a stallion catheter to the end of it and then insert it rectally, just sort of as far as it will comfortably go and then loosely elastic on it or brown gauze it to the horse's tail. So it's got a little bit of a safety loop and then big, either your IV fluid bags or some people will use like Nalgene jugs get hung from the ceiling. And then you can set it at a rate, just like you would with IV fluids. Horses tolerate it really well, surprisingly. And they actually, the horses do best when you don't even add electrolytes to it or anything like that, that can cause a little bit of irritation with them. So it's just tap water or barn water that you're adding to it. 
Interesting. I know, right? That Things was going to be my question about. is, is do you add electrolytes or anything like that to it? But I guess that makes sense because they're not, you know, generally taking those up in the colon. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So it's just plain old tap water. And I think some benefits to that on one, if you do have a horse with like a small colon obstruction, that's a great way to also rehydrate that part of the GI tract while also hydrating the whole horse. And then we could potentially use this in horses that are refluxing and wouldn't be able to have enteral fluids via nasogastric tube. So um, another route, if for whatever reason, we can't use IV fluids. And then it also, I think is nice if, you know, we've been using a lot of IV fluids and maybe our sodium levels or our chloride levels are starting to creep up. It's a nice way to sort of give them hypotonic fluids and and kind of counteract that a little bit. So yeah, they tolerate it really well and you can train clients to do it too. Right. So, you know, you just kind of explain to them how they would insert it in the rectum, not to push too hard or anything. And that way you could leave it on the farm. And if it falls out, it's not like asking a client to do catheter care or anything like that on the farm. So a little bit safer from that aspect too. Definitely. Definitely. What you talked about the sodium and chloride maybe creeping up from doing IV fluids. If you're running tap water through into this catheter, do you ever see the opposite? Do you see electrolyte derangements because maybe they're not taking in nutrition and then they're get they're getting hydrated with tap water? That's a really good question. I think long-term, it could be an issue. Usually short-term, they do just fine with it. Luckily, the kidney sorts it out for us. But certainly if we were looking at days and the horse wasn't taking in anything by mouth, then that could definitely be a concern and and something you'd want to keep an eye on. Very cool. Very cool. Lots of options for giving fluids in the field. We're not just stuck with IV. I think that's excellent. Yeah. So let's circle back around to IV fluids. We've talked about enteral and rectal, and we kind of touched on that a little bit in the beginning, but can you go into a little bit more detail about what cases we specifically want to make sure we're reaching for IV fluids on? Yeah, absolutely. So IV fluids, there's a lot of really good uses for them. So we've talked about these other ways we can go about fluid therapy, but there's definitely in times where IV fluids are one of the only ways to go or also times where it's just preferred when it's an option. So um, times when we're looking, where I'm really reaching for IV fluids are horses that are really either severely hemoconcentrated or hypovolemic, because if they're hypovolemic, they're not going to be sending blood supply to their GI tract. And so when we give them enteral fluids or rectal fluids, they're not going to be able to absorb it as we would want them to. So anyone that I'm trying to increase intravascular volume with, we're going to reach for IV fluids and, and restore that. Sometimes we can use it in combination with one of the others once we sort of resolve their volume. Additionally, animals that have really severe electrolyte derangements. So um, because we can custom manage them and predict it just a little bit better as opposed to relying on their GI tract to absorb things. And so, you know, that might be an animal that's severely hyponatremic. It might be an animal that's severely hyperkalemic and we're using IV fluids to help drive down that potassium as well. So those are also instances. And then anyone that we're trying to get fluids too quickly. So putting it straight in the vein essentially is going to be the the quickest way to do that. 
probably the biggest downside to IV fluids in horses is just that in the five liter bags, and um, which is what we're frequently reaching for from a practicality standpoint, knowing that maintenance for your average 500 kilogram horse is about a liter to two an hour. And so hanging those one liter bags at a time, although we have all done it, not the best use of one's time. And so all of our formulas are replacement formulas. And so that's the downside for horses that are on IV fluids long-term that they're constantly getting a replacement formula, which is more sodium and chloride rich than what we would like for that. And so I just try and keep an eye on their sodiums and if they do start to, and their chlorides, and if they do start to creep up, then see if I can switch things up with a little bit of enterofluids if the GI tract is working with the IV fluids, if they need to stay on it. And now rectal fluids is a great you know combo way to go about it if we still want them on IVs as well. It's funny that you mentioned the five liter bags because I swear I was mixed animal in school. Like I'm, I'm not a total novice around, you know, working on, on horses, but I've just been doing small animal for the last several years. And you were talking about hanging these rectal bags and then, and setting it at a rate. And I'm picturing these like one liter bags. I'm like, how many of those would you need? And finally it hit me. I'm like, oh yeah, the five liter bag. Yeah. Yeah. The five liters. And if you're um, trying to be really cost or sorry, time conscious, you can hang up to four at a time by piggybacking them in, an, in a large animal stat set. So you can get 20 liters hanging above a horse's head or, or rump, I guess, at, at, depending on which route you're going for at any time. So that can be nice too, if you're on the farm and, and you don't want to try and train clients to switch, switch fluid bags and things like that, particularly if you're going the IV route that, you know, we can get a good chunk hanging above their heads. Perfect. Perfect. What about what you're putting into the vein? You know, we talked about these replacement formulas in small animal, you know, we reach for colloids in some of our hypovolemic patients. Are you doing that in horses as well? Is that more of like a hospitalized thing or would you do that in the field? Yeah, good question. So I think there's two types of colloids we reach for in horses, synthetic colloids and then natural colloids being either commercially made plasma or whole blood. If you're really needing a whole blood transfusion above and far, you know, synthetic colloids are going to be the easiest to use out in the field because they don't require refrigeration. They don't require thawing. They're readily available and easy to use in horses and particularly in that ambulatory situation. I think colloids is a great debate these days, natural versus synthetic. On the human side of things, they've really strayed away from synthetic colloids in in their critically ill patients due to the increased risk of acute kidney injury, primarily being the big one, but also some concerns with coagulopathy and decreased immune function and things like that. At this point, we don't have any proof in horses that we see those same adverse effects. So I think that when it's needed, it's absolutely fine to reach for them. But if there's already a horse that has acute kidney injury, what I just find myself asking is, do I really need it? And if the answer is yes, then, you know, we're going to go for it. If the answer is maybe not, then I might hold off and, and wait and see how things go a little bit. The flip side of that is our natural colloids, which when we can use them, provide us a lot of benefit because in addition to colloid oncotic pressure, which is what we're getting for our synthetic colloids, they also provide us a lot of other good things. So albumin, which is a drug carrier and is also anti-inflammatory itself. We also get our 
immunoglobulins as well. Um, some plasma has been hyperimmunized against LPS and things like that. And, you know, other just good non-albumin colloid factors as well. So other good stuff in plasma, but it's sold in one liter bags. They're frozen, hard to keep on your truck. And unless you know, you're going to need it. And then you have to wait for them to thaw, which is not always conducive to being out in the field and, and things like that, particularly for a horse that again, needs large volumes of it. So, you know, a liter of plasma is going to be kind of a drop in the bucket. We're usually looking at like five to 10 liters to make a real difference in colloid oncotic pressure in an adult horse for plasma. So that also comes at a cost um, as well. That yes. can be really cost prohibitive. And to, to, I'm just thinking like the cost to the practitioner to have it on hand if in, you know, the rare case that you would need it. Yeah, absolutely. Some people will store a fair amount just for foals in the spring because if they have failure of passive transfer, so, and they don't get enough colostrum. So some practices will keep it on hand because of that, but yeah, otherwise you're having to order it. And then still a foal needs a liter to a plasma and adult horse needs, you know, five plus, then you're going to burn through your stocks pretty quickly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Copper, it's been so fun talking horses and equine fluid therapy with you. A nice variation on the podcast. I want to thank you so much. And then also ask you any final thoughts you want to share with us. Uh, yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. Um, and I think my final thought would just have to be to repeat one of my mentors, which is if the GI tract works, use it. But other than that, thanks for having me. And it's been a great time. Excellent advice that we should all work hard to remember. It's been <laughs> such a fun time. Thanks again. Thank you. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Please reach out and let us know if you'd like to hear more equine topics or topics on other species, large animal, or otherwise, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. I want to say a big thank you to DECRA for sponsoring this episode, and thank you to Dr. Copper for all of the excellent input. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.